Now, this week marks Anti-Bullying Awareness Week and my next guest this morning was just 13 years old when he was forced to leave school having been the victim of brutal bullying. Now, a mental health campaigner, he urges anyone experiencing such torment to reach out and to not let the bullies win. Chris Sherlock, good morning to you. Good morning, Miriam. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted you're here. Now, look, Let's go back to your school days, Chris, if that's okay. I know primary school, I think that was okay. Was it the transition to secondary school then when things started to change? Yeah, I got on great in primary school. I had great fun with teachers, you know, and even my friends in my class, I I got on great. I I had my posse, as I like to call them, in the class. But a lot of us went to different schools, so I only had literally a handful of people going into the same school that I was in. But yeah, within the first week, I was trying to find my feet, you know, new teachers, new building, new subjects that were mm-hmm. involved. And I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was a, a shy kid as well. So I would make friends eventually, but I was just slower than others. But I eventually got in there. I was trying to make friends and be impressionable myself. But from the get go, it wasn't meant to be because I came across two different groups. And the first group were all about verbal bullying. So it was all calling me names. You know, they would call me faggot. They'd call me book teeth. They'd call me whatever, you know, what that they could throw at me. Some things I won't repeat, mm-hmm. but it's just, I, I just couldn't believe it. And I would just brush it off and just like hope that if I ignore them, they'll get bored and move on to somebody else. Now, I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody because, you know, it's, it's not mm. nice. But I just thought if, if the attention isn't on me, then great. You know, (laughs) that's what I was kind of hoping for. But sadly, it just kept coming. I reached my second week and as I was going to the schoolyard on a lunch break, my parents would always say, look, give us a quick call in the lunch and let us know how you're getting on with whatever subjects or whatever. So I did that and I would phone to my mum regular and just give them the lowdown. And before I knew it, on one particular lunch break, Miriam, I was pinned against the wall. And before I knew it, there was a hand around my, my neck choking me. And I just froze. I was I was in complete fear. I just didn't know what to do, where to look. But I just remember them. They took the phone out of my hands. They flung it across the area where I was. And uh, I just tried to squirm out of it as best as I could. And I just think to myself, just get out, get the phone and ring your mum back. And I was paranoid that the phone call was still active because mm-hmm. if she was hearing this, that was even making me more nervous. So eventually I pushed them off and I got away. You know, they were still taunting me as I was kind of going away. So I got to a quiet place, phoned her back and I didn't say anything what happened. The call thankfully disconnected and I just phoned her back and I dropped the phone by mistake. And then that was that. A couple of days passed again. But in that couple of days, I was, you know, reliving this in my head and I just couldn't think like what am I going to do and then I was trying to focus on my schoolwork and focus on what was to come but when it got to the stage of where I was going to a class one day this was definitely a few days after and I just remember going to this particular class because to paint you a, a little bit of a picture it's an old style building and they have you know the old doors on a corridor yeah and so I would be going through there now it wasn't uncommon for these kids and any school to be loitering near doors, etc. But I remember trying to get through this particular door to go to class and they just wanted the group that was there. There was about four of the minute. They would just keep pushing the door closed, saying, you know, we require money to pass through here. And then they'd be just pushing me off, calling me the name still, you know, go, go away, this and that. And I eventually tried to get through to force them away, but they caught me, pinned me against the wall, took my bag off my side. It was just over my shoulder. And then they pulled the 
the t-shirt that or the polo shirt sorry that was a part of the uniform at the time up over my head and they just pushed me down the stairs that I had just come up and I received a gash from my elbow just to my wrist and it was pumping with blood but I didn't know I knew what had happened but I was still reeling you know I was just looking up at them and they were laughing I just saw blood and I I knew I needed attention so I ran as quick to the office as my feet could take me and I just was shaking on my way I was starting to cry I was feeling all over the place to be honest I didn't know what to do but I, I just remember our school nurse was there and she says oh my god you know what happened to you and I said I just fell down the stairs and she bandaged me up and she knew that I was in such a state that mm. I needed to go home straight away. So the, my parents were sent first and my mum came and collected me and covered that up as well. I didn't say, I just said, look, I, I fell down the stairs, I tripped, I lost my balance. So as time went on, I had a few days off after that scenario to recover and I started a brand new week. And my mum accompanied me this one particular morning going back in. And I just remember looking at her and looking at the school as we got closer and closer and everything was in my head. And I remember I could hear the, the name call and I could see the images of me being pushed down the stairs. I could see the hand around my throat again and I just couldn't take it anymore. I, I, I froze when we got to the school gates and it was like if there was a big wall there, a boundary wall. I just couldn't move. I just couldn't pass it. So I blurted out everything. I started roaring, crying. What I didn't know then was that I was having a panic attack. I couldn't breathe. I felt like, you know, mm. the, the oxygen was getting thinner and thinner. And I eventually recovered after some time. We went home, we talked about it and I explained everything. So then some action was taken to the school where we'd go and have talks and I would try and pinpoint who mm. these people were. I did pinpoint two people. And uh, they got detention and they got expelled for a few days, but it wasn't enough. Did they get back in? They got back into the school. Yeah, they, mm. they, they were they, they carried on. They were about two or three years ahead of me. I'm, as far as I know, they're third. They were third year students at the time when I was there. I mean, just listening to you, Chris, what a nightmare experience. You're only a little boy, really. You're 13 at the time. What happened then? And were proper measures taken to protect you? The measures that were that were taken were simple in the sense that we had two or three meetings afterwards uh, with the principal. Uh, there was a year ahead teacher there at the time and there was another teacher that was um, very helpful. But the meetings that were there, they just said, look, all we can do is give it attention and discipline them to a degree. But the principal turned around and said to us, my mum and dad in the room as well, said that, look, it's the consequences of a first year student. You know, you're prone to first year beatings. Now, I didn't want to say anything in the Mm. get go because I was paranoid that if I am the rat, the consequences of being the rat is what I like to say, because you're going to make matters for yourself when you do return back to school. They're going to be out to get you again. So out of that fear, I, I couldn't go back. So my secondary school days were only three weeks long. And if that, because there were some days where I was going home sick and I, I just couldn't handle anything. So I lost out on a leave in certain junior cert to this day. Um, so, yeah, the, just because of the bullies. And although you'd left school, you didn't have to face the bullies at school. But even after you left, Chris, you were still dealing, you know, at home with the trauma of it all, weren't you? Yeah, oh, there was nights there where I was twisting and turning and I'm not afraid to admit that I was weeing the beds. You know, it was just, it, it all comes part of it because of the stress and anxiety. Mm. Now, I never knew any of this was. Even my parents didn't really know what this was, but 
I went to a GP, they referred me to a teen psychologist, so I would talk to them regularly. And then in the background of all that, they were organising a home tutor to try and get me back to education. I had the Minister for Education for Galway, whoever's the head department, I'm not too sure what the official title is. Uh, but um, they would come to my door every week saying, look, how are you getting on? But they were trying to push me and push me back to school. And there was days there I was told, you know, to go for walks, you know, you know, do mm. use whatever hobby you have to take a distraction when you're feeling overwhelmed. And the, the pressures got too much at one point where I just had a plan in my head to end my life. And I was moments away from doing that only for I was distracted by neighborhood and friends, to be honest with you, because they just showed kindness that that's literally split second kindness of saying, look, we're going back to our house to play video games. Do you want to come? That was literally the sentence I can remember to this day. And as I'm talking to you, I can picture it in my head. It's never left me. And because of that, I'm here to, here with you today talking to you. That's amazing, Chris. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Did you ever tell your parents how bad things got that you did think about doing that? I did. Yeah. Well, it was said through the teen psychologist that was that week. I was it was the week after I was there and I said, look, I wasn't too good, whatever. And they explained and I said, yeah, well, look, this is this this is where I'm at. I can't do it. So my parents said, look, it's we we can't we're not going to force you to go back to school. We will come up with other means to try and, you mm-hmm. know, help you out in any way we can. But I was just left in a limbo land for a while because at that stage I was 14. The home tuition had stopped. I had two years where I was doing practically nothing except I was going to be on the computer, looking up stuff, whatever interests me. Uh, I, then I'd read books, magazines, just to do whatever I could to better my education, do my own maths, whatever I could learn myself, just do. Uh, but in in the end, um, it, it was Galway City Partnership. I met a lad there through my GP. His name is John, a very la- nice lad that was there with me. And uh, he helped me, you know, go forward and get stuff ready for a CV, put me into doing photography and like community centres and stuff like that. And it was just their youth advocacy service that in that b- building was just unreal where they just helped in so many ways. And was another school ever an option for you, did you think? We thought about it. I looked at them. I had one or two tours of different schools after and I was going back to one in particular and I just got to the morning of going and I froze again. I just thought this is going to happen to me again. I could feel it that I could. I just knew that I wouldn't be able to do it, that I'm not re- I wasn't ready. And, mm. and this was another thing. All these people were thinking I'm ready, but I wasn't. Like n- no one knew to the extent that I, I was really suffering because I it was only given some little bits of disinformation and dribs and drabs. So it, it, in the long run, I just never went back. I did try, but I just I just I just couldn't for a long time, Miriam. I in a group situation and if I was in a group situation of more than three or four people, I'd be looking for the nearest exits and I'd be trying to be as close to that exit as possible in the fear of someone to come up to me and start hassling me so I could just run. That was my instinct. I mean, those young people when you were in first year, they basically terrorised you. Do you feel angry with them now or not? Well, they were responsible for taking a lot of my educational years. So at first I was angry and I was disappointed in myself. And then I was worried about being a burden to my parents because I'm nowhere near, you know, have any qualifications of education. You know, I I can't go to college and I was worried about that. And that was some of the pressures that, you know, led me to be on the brink of suicide because I just thought, well, I should just end my life and be over. 
you know, I'm not going to be a burden to anybody then. Uh, so I was angry for a while, but as kind of later years came too, I, I, I just found in my hobbies that I loved listening to the radio, watching TV. Now, it's not ideal for a teenager to be sat at home watching radio or listening to the radio and watching TV all the time. But it, it, I found my calling through that. And my mother used to say, well, <laughs> you'd always talk, the you know, the backside of a kettle. Like, you know, so I don't blame you for going down that road. So um, she saw me go for the volunteer role in the local college radio and... The rest is kind of history from there. I know. And you're now so successful on Flirt FM. It's obviously to all those people who terrorised you, you're doing just great. Do you have, have you ever thought why they targeted you or did they target lots of different people? I think I was just a shy guy. But the, the thing about bullies is maybe there's something going on in their lives. They're looking for attention somehow. And, and their five minutes of fame to be popular is at someone else's expense. All I know is that, look, your consequences have actions. So be kind and, you know, instead of being a bully, be a buddy. That's a great line. And look, as I said at the beginning, this is Anti-Bullying Awareness Week. And I know in a Rock This Committee report published last year, it noted that bullying, Chris, is widespread in every urban and rural school in Ireland. But do you feel a lot more still really should be done to tackle bullying? I mean, what steps would you like to see taken as someone who suffered so much from bullies? There's a long list, but... Teachers and schools, they work hard to put in programmes and, and stuff in place. So I understand that, you know, there is strategies there and programmes, but follow it through. Some schools don't. They have it to tick a box. And that's what worries me. You know, we need to have more people like me coming forward and saying, look, this is what's happened to us and tell that to the kids. So we need advocates to go into schools for one, whether it's primary and secondary level, even colleges, even in the workplace, have a comment box and put in, say, look, I'm being bullied. I might be afraid to put my name down. I want to remain anonymous for now, but can you please address the issue? And hopefully by the issue being addressed fairly quick, it'll uh, make some sort of progress. And I'm conscious as well because if someone's listening this morning, either being bullied themselves and as you say, bullying doesn't just happen in school. It can happen in workplaces or if a mum or dad of someone who's being bullied in school, what advice would you give to them? What, What should they do? The best thing to do is I know it's hard to come forward and say it because you might be embarrassed. You might be nervous of the consequences. But talk to somebody, to a, a friend, a colleague, a family member. But t- talking is the biggest key. I know that there's loads of resources out there. Tacklebullying.ie is a great website, to, you know, to understand it. So if you look up that and even the HSE have stuff in place for mental health. So just look at their services and, and hopefully that, you know, you can talk out the problem if it's affecting you and with stress and anxiety. And of course, Chris, you're very involved in a book that was published just last month called Mental Health for Millennials, aren't you? Lots of coping mechanisms put into this as well for people. Yeah, uh, I talk about my soundtrack of hope, which is the title chapter in the sixth volume. And I just talk about all the songs that kind of were inspirational hope songs to get me through. And then in a previous volume in volume four, my story that I just explained to you about, you know, what happened to me on the school grounds. Uh, and, you know, ev- everything from the start to the finish, that, that's in volume four edition and it can be all got on bookhubpublishing.com. Well, Chris Sherlock, it's been my privilege to chat to you today. Thanks so much for coming in. I'm so glad you overcame all that horrible bullying and you're doing so well. And you're here this week, of course, to mark Anti-Bullying Awareness Week. Thanks so many, Chris. Thanks, Miriam, for having me.